following message is presented by Community Gospel Church in Bremen, Indiana. It is our great privilege to share this ministry with you. We in no way intend for this to be a replacement for the local church. It is our prayer that this would serve as a resource to help make Jesus Christ known in our congregation and other congregations gathering across the world. For more information about Community Gospel Church, visit www.communitygospelchurch.com. If you would, open up your Bibles to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 19, is where we're going to be at today. Deuteronomy, chapter 19. And uh, Deuteronomy is going to be the fifth book of the Old Testament, so we're on the left-hand side of the Bible. Big numbers are going to be the chapters, and then smaller numbers are going to be the verses. And as we're opening there, it's amazing to think that we are 19 chapters through Deuteronomy. Um, so this has just been a really fruitful endeavor for us as we've been studying God's Word, and hopefully it's been uh, just as fruitful for you as it has been for me. As you're turning uh, to Deuteronomy chapter 19, I was reminded of a story of a, a farmer who was a sheep farmer when I was studying this passage of Scripture. And essentially what happened was uh, the farmer got up one morning and he went to go uh, out to take his sheep to pasture. And the neighbor, uh, being a curious neighbor, um, went out at the same time and looked at the farmer and said, hey, do you mind if I tag along with you? The farmer is like, I don't care, you know, Um, you do you, man. And so he's like, all right. So he uh, goes with the farmer and they uh, go out and they open up uh, the the pen or whatever you want to call it. And um, the sheep leave and the uh, farmer leaves with the sheep and they're walking and they pause for a second. (laughs) And the farmer, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen. Okay. And then they keep walking. Neighbor's looking at him like, what was that all about, you know? As he walks a little bit farther, walks a little bit farther, sure enough, farmer stops for a second. He looks at him. He's like, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, ten, ten. Okay, then he walks a little bit more. He does like three or four times, and finally the neighbor looks at the farmer, and he says, what are you doing? And he says, oh, I'm counting the sheep. He says, why in the world would you count the sheep so many times? He's like, well, I don't want to lose one. Losing one is important. He's like, but also what I need to do for the sheep is I need to make sure that they arrive safely in the next pen and all of them are in the boundaries. And he said, because when those sheep are properly in the right boundaries, they flourish. But if they wander away, there's problems. And as we look to Deuteronomy 19, we see Moses is communicating to the Israelites and he's telling the Israelites, you're going to go into uh, this thing called the promised land. And essentially, the promised land is the land of Canaan. And in the land of Canaan, there's parameters. And really, Deuteronomy is five sermons from Moses telling the people how to conduct themselves when they get into the promised land. And as the people listen to Moses, they're reminded of things that they should do and that they shouldn't do because we like sheep are prone to wander. Then we get into the New Testament, and we realize that we have a relationship with God through faith in Christ. And as we have a relationship with God through faith in Christ, some of us believe that when we enter into a relationship with Jesus, the boundaries don't matter, that God just like abolishes this law, that he could care less how we live our lives because you know what's going to happen? One day, we're going to get to heaven, and we're going to look at him and be like, I'm saved by grace, 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 God's grace greater than all my sin, right? And he's going to look at me, and he's going to say, that's true, 
But grace is not something for you to receive to just run around and do whatever you want. Paul actually says in the New Testament, he says, should I continue to sin so that grace should abound? And he says, that is a foolish question by no means. He says, you should live in the parameters that God has set for your life because that's where most fruit can be found. And that's where you find this joy. So in Deuteronomy 19, we're going to talk about how to live a life in bounds. What does it look like for us? Because really, when Jesus talks in the New Testament, he's really validating a lot of the stuff that is found in the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, it's interesting. You get into chapter 19, and you see Moses talking about these people going into the promised land. And you've got to remember, this is earthly Canaan. And we go to heavenly Canaan, right? So verse 1. When the Lord your God cuts off the nations whose land the Lord your God is giving you, and you uh, dispossess them and dwell in their cities and in their houses. Now, what he's talking about there is he's essentially saying, like, hey, you're going to go in and you're going to dwell in this land. There's enemies there, but we're going to overtake them. And you shall set apart three cities for yourself, in the land that the Lord your God is giving to you to possess. It's the promised land. Verse 3. You should measure the distances and divide into three parts the area of land that the Lord your God gives you as a possession so that any manslayer can flee to them. That's an interesting word. Let's just stay with the text. This is the provision for the manslayer who by fleeing there to these cities may save his life. If anyone kills his neighbor unintentionally, the Old Testament was interesting, right? (laughs) Oops. Without having hated him in the past, as when somebody goes into the forest with his neighbor to cut wood, here's an example of unintentionally killing your neighbor, all right? (laughs) And the head slips from the handle and strikes his neighbor so that he dies, he may flee to one of these cities and live. Lest the avenger of blood. Now, there's the second term that we're going to have to define in just a second. We got manslayer number one, and then we got avenger of blood is going to be number two. The avenger of blood in hot anger. Some of you married people know what hot anger is all about, right? Pursue the manslayer, overtake him, because the way is long. Strike him fatally, though the man did not deserve to die, since he had not hated his neighbor in the past. Verse 7. Therefore, I command you, You shall set apart three cities. You already said that. So it's said again, which means that's important. And if the Lord your God enlarges your territory, which he's going to do, as he has sworn to your fathers and gives you all the land that he promised to give your fathers, provided you are careful to keep his commandments. Keep this commandment, which I command you today, by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, Then you shall add another three cities. So as the land increases, the cities also increase. Verse 10, lest innocent blood be shed in your land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance, and so the guilt of the bloodshed be upon you. This is really important, all right? But if anyone hates his neighbor and lies in wait for him and attacks him on purpose and strikes him fatally so that he dies and he flees into one of these cities, Then the elders of the city shall send and take him from there and hand him over to the avenger of blood so that he may die. Lots of death in the Old Testament. 
Your eyes shall not pity him, but you shall purge the guilt of the innocent blood from Israel. Why? So that it may be well with you. In the first part of Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 1 through 13, it's all about justice. This is all about justice. Because people love justice, don't they? They want justice to be served. We want God's justice to rain down from heaven. I love uh, when the disciples are walking with Jesus and the Pharisees are against uh, Jesus. The disciples look at Jesus and they say, should we call down fire from heaven to consume them? And Jesus is like, whoa, hold up. That's a little, little strong. The disciples love justice. All the people in the Old Testament love justice. And we have to wonder, what does justice look like when we live in bounds of God's law? Well, Deuteronomy 4, verse 41, you don't have to go there. Moses set aside three cities in what we call the Transjordan. That's verse 2. Verse 2 talks about this area of land called the Transjordan. And these cities of refuge were for anyone who accidentally killed someone. Raise your hand if you've accidentally almost... Never mind. All right. <clears throat> if, if Jesus were here, you'd be like, raise your hand if you uh, thought about this, right? Moses now commands Israel, set aside three more of these cities spaced all throughout the promised land, and they're going to have roads that go to each of those places. They're, they're close. They're in within proximity, okay? And let's, let's, let's define that word manslayer. If you want to circle that in your Bibles, that's also in Exodus chapter 20, verse 13. A manslayer is someone who killed somebody else unintentionally. A murderer is somebody who kills somebody on purpose, so there's the difference between those two words. Only a manslayer, look at verse 4, who killed his neighbor unintentionally without having hated him in the past, like an axe incident, could flee, verse 5, to one of these cities of refuge and save his life. Now, a city of refuge couldn't provide sanctuary for an intentional murderer. That's verse 11 through 13. That person was to be returned to his town and killed by the avenger of blood. Okay, well, there's, there's the second thing that we should probably define, right? What is an avenger of blood? Now, this is huge in like uh, little circles, right? They love avengers, right? What in the world is an avenger? Well, a word uh, comes from a Hebrew word called goel. And the word avenger is really the word redeemer. It was a family protector known as a near kingsman. Maybe you've read the book of Ruth before and you've heard of kingsman redeemer, kingsman avenger, okay? It's a male relative or a relative of the one that was killed who was responsible for four things. Now, we know the fourth thing, okay? But let's go uh, and kind of run these down. An avenger could first and foremost redeem or buy a relative out of slavery, so if you lived in the Old Testament, let's say your debts got really, really high, you could essentially sell yourself to that person, and you could say, I'll be your slave until that is, uh, all that debt is paid. An avenger could also redeem a relative's property. They could say, I'm, uh, this person owes this, so I'm going to redeem that property. Avenger third, we know this from the book of Ruth, could marry a relative's widow and raise the children in the deceased's name. So, so we see that really, really clearly in the book of Ruth. And then the fourth thing that we get here is an avenger could avenge the death of a relative that was killed. And so here we have these refugee cities. And they offer protection from this avenger of blood. The one who kills his neighbor unintentionally has to stay in the city of refuge until 
Now, this is really, really important. So, ready? Until the death of the high priest. You cannot leave the city of refuge until the current high priest has died. The elders of the cities protected by manslayers from the avenger of blood. If a manslayer left the city before the high priest's death, then the avenger could kill him. Uh, Numbers 35, verse 27 says, without being guilty of murder. So let's say you go to this city, you're in this city of refuge, and then all of a sudden you're like, I'm out of here, like, I don't like it here, this isn't where I want to be. And then you, you go, the avenger can come and kill you without being guilty of murder. Now, <clears throat> verse 8 through 10, as Israel expands, there's to be more cities of refuge where people could flee. Ultimately, there's going to be six cities of refuge. And if you're familiar with your Bible, and you go to Joshua chapter 20, it tells of the actual cities chosen and how they're evenly distributed. <laughs> now, if you're here today, you're thinking to yourself, uh, so what? A, we don't live in the New Testament. B, I'm not fleeing to Wyatt for refuge. Okay? <clears throat> this is important. The city of refuge, first of all, taught Israel that life is important to God. Life is important to God. God loves it. He, he loves his creation. You are created in his image. God loves life. Two, even if a man accidentally kills his neighbor, it taught Israel that that man still has to give up a lot of his freedom for an extended period of time. But there's a really deep meaning here. If you look at this text really close, the Bible speaks of believers finding refuge in the Lord. In Psalm chapter 46, verse 1, it says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. You don't know that if you're not a believer. God is our refuge. Fifteen times in the Psalms, God speaks of being our refuge. Then you go even further into the text and you get to Hebrews chapter 6, verse 18. Now you have this passage in the English Standard Version, but let me read it to you in the New Living Translation. It says that God has given both his promise and his oath, and all the promises of God are yes and amen. He has given us his oath, and these two things are unchangeable. They cannot be changed because it's impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. So we make the, the parallels, right? We, we bring these Old Testament truths and New Testament truths together and listen to the similarities between the cities of refuge and Jesus, our prophet, priest, and king. Number one, both the cities of refuge and Jesus are easily within reach for needy people, but they are useless if you don't go there. Jesus is useless to you if you do not run to him. Both the cities of refuge and Jesus are open to all, not just Israelites. If you study the Old Testament passage, you will see that it is for Gentiles too as well. Nobody gets turned away in their time of need. Both the cities of refuge and Jesus become a place where one in need would be able to live again. You find new life in a city of refuge. You find new life in Christ. Both the cities of refuge and Jesus are the only alternative for one who is in need. Without that protection, you're destroyed. Both the cities of refuge and Jesus provide protection only within their boundaries. To go outside of that boundary means death. 
And this is such a prophetic text because what it says is cities of refuge in Jesus offer full, full freedom that comes with the death of the high priest. Jesus dies as our high priest. Jesus is the city of refuge. He offers spiritual refuge to those who seek him in faith. But there's more. Verse 14. <clears throat> this is the weirdest like, passage of scripture because it's sandwiched in between two uh, other things. It says, you shall not move your neighbor's landmark. <laughs> okay, like that took a right turn. Which the old men have set. Or you might have which the men of old have set. You got to be really careful saying old men out loud, right? Okay. And the inheritance that you will hold in the land, the Lord your God is giving you to possess. So here's the second thing, okay? In the boundaries that God has given to us, the second thing is regarding boundaries. <laughs> now, it's not 100% clear why Moses places this here, but, but, but I think I know, all right? It's placed between cities of refuge, first 13 verses, False witnesses, 15 through 21. Now, if you want to, you can underline boundary stones. And they were placed in between family properties that are marked by stones. The neighbors agreed in advance where the stones should be, and it was a violation of God's law to move those stones. Now, I can attest this. Like, I kind of know how this goes. Bethany and I decided uh, a long time ago that we were going to build a garden in the back of our house, right? Um, grocery prices were getting high. They're still getting high, so we're kind of going to live off the land for a while, right? And our garden could not feed, like, four people. So it's just, it, it, Bethany likes it. Uh, I digress. Um, so so I built, we built this garden. I like that I said we. I built the garden, okay? Um, <clears throat> Bethany uh, harvests the garden. Again, I digress. Okay, so we build this garden, and uh, my neighbor comes over who owns the property next to me. And he looks at me, and he's, he says, hmm, hmm. Whenever your neighbor stares at something and goes, hmm, there's a problem. <laughs> and so he's, hmm, and I, and I says, I said, what's the issue? And he says, oh, your garden's on, on, on my property. And I said, excuse me? And he says, oh, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely on my property. Well, a wise man once told me to call the town first before you dig. I've learned that the hard way a couple of times, okay? And uh, as we were looking at this, 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 this garden and this other land, I realized that there were uh, spray-painted lines. And I says, well, I called the town. And the town told me that that spray-painted line right there, that's, that's the property. That's the boundary. And so that's, that's your property, and that's my property, and, and here's my garden. It's actually three feet over from that. Oh, yeah, huh? You know? How do you like me now, right? <clears throat> Power of Christ compels you to go back into your house. I didn't say that. <clears throat> and so there was, a, there, there was essentially, like, this was your property, and this was my property, and and. You know, he looked at me and he says, oh, yeah, I, I didn't see the line. I don't know how you missed the line, but it was there, okay? And so we live by this today. It's crazy that we live by this. But there's, there's essentially a, a, a right here to private property. That's what Moses is saying. You're going to have property here. And when your neighbor has a lawful landmark, you respect that landmark. So I should probably go out into the garden and put a little sign that says Deuteronomy 19.14. <laughs> Wouldn't that, be, wouldn't that be fun? That'd be fun. Right. You respect it and you're forbidden to change that as you please. Why? 
boundaries are a foundation for human society. This validates somebody's right to personal property, but it also shows us that boundaries are for our good and other people or states are, are, are not permitted to take or to move boundaries without following due process. It shows us there's importance in following due process. Now, <clears throat> moving a neighbor's boundary stone was equivalent to stealing his property. This must have been a huge issue in the Old Testament because listen to all these passages that speak about this. Job chapter 24 verse 2 says, evil people steal land by moving boundary markers. Deuteronomy 27, 17 says, people who move boundary markers are cursed. Proverbs twenty two twenty three says, people who move boundary markers are cheaters. Hosea says that people who move boundary markers are thieves. Don't move a boundary marker. Now, to me, like, I look at that on the surface, and I would say, okay, like, this is not hard. This, is, this, this just seems so easy to me. But again, you got to look a little bit deeper into the text. And look what it says here. There's this little law that has a little closer look. It also says that we should not ignore or forget what men of old have said. What? In other words, Moses is saying, you should not move what men of old have done for the Lord. In other words, you should honor other people's property, but also honor the work that was done by other believers. Many men have greatly hindered God's work by ignoring the landmarks which other men of God have set. I will never forget when we took lead here at Community Gospel. I made two phone calls. I called Bob Heaney. Bob Heaney was one of the first pastors of this church. I said, Bob, you had great success at Community Gospel. Why did you have great success? He says, oh, it wasn't that hard. <laughs> he says, we just evangelized and we edified. We made Christ known. He says, all we were about was a great commission. We, we told people about Jesus, and then as we told people about Jesus, they came to know Jesus, and, and we saw them get baptized, and then after their baptisms, we, we just built them up as much as we possibly could. We made Christ known near and far. Those are exact words. So I was like, all right, thanks, Bob. He prayed for me, prayed for our church, and then he went to go to be with the Lord. And I called Dave McGee. He's in Texas. And I said, hey, Dave, these people loved you. And he says, oh, Jordan, it's funny what time will do. <laughs> I said, and nobody speaks bad about you at all. He's like, that's because they're not around anymore. I said, Dave, you had great success at Community Gospel Church. Why'd you have great success at Community Gospel Church? He says, oh, it was easy. He said, we just evangelized and edified. He said, we made uh, the, the great commandment, the great commission, our primary goal and purpose. He says, we were all about telling people who Jesus was, and then we just built them up after they came to know the Lord. And I said, whoa. So I looked down, and we had this huge, gigantic statement that nobody knew. Nobody. Nobody can memorize this paragraph. It was just ginormous. And I said, I saw like little words pop out. And I said, community gospel exists to make Christ known near and far. I didn't create that. It's built off the boundaries that men before us have set. We've been doing it for 50 years. We're going to do it until Jesus calls us home. Now you get into verse 15. <clears throat> A single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed. 
only on the evidence of two witnesses or three witnesses till a charge be established. So that's important. So now we kind of see why this passage of Scripture was sandwiched in there. Because what it, basically what Moses is saying is, he says, some people are going to come and they're going to have critiques and concerns. If a malicious witness arises to accuse a person of wrongdoing, then both parties shall dispute an appearance before the Lord, before the priests and the judges who are in office in those days. The judges shall inquire diligently, and if the witness is a false witness and has accused his brother falsely, then you shall do to him as he meant to do to his brother. Ooh. You shall purge the evil from your midst. And the rest shall hear and fear, and shall never again commit any such evil among you. Your eye shall not pity, it shall be Life for a life, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, hand for a hand, and foot for a foot. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? So this is all about retaliation. Manslayers, those who move boundaries, and other crimes needed witnesses. So Moses lays down a principle for having more than one witness necessary to convict somebody of a crime. That's verse 6 in chapter 17. This principle is a safeguard against false witnesses who might bring an untruthful charge against a fellow Israelite because of quarrel, improper motive, things like that. By requiring more than one witness, at least two or three, there's greater accuracy and impartiality could be obtained. Now, here's what I ask, and I'm sure you're asking the same thing. What about special cases? What about when there's no Two witnesses. What do you do there? Well, Moses is a smart man. And he knows exactly that there's going to be some cases that have only one witness. And so those sole witnesses can still bring, this is verse 15 through 20, a charge against an offender. And it would be taken to what's called the central tribunal of priests and judges. So you get priests and judges together. And they're going to have a trial. And this is outlined in Deuteronomy 17 verse 8. They're going to go back and they're going to investigate. And if the testimony was found false, then the accuser was declared a malicious witness. Whoa. And they were also, verse 18, called a liar who would receive punishment as it was a violation of the ninth commandment. That's a big deal. And so the evil, that person, that malicious witness was to be purged from the nation. Now, this is, this is fascinating. Jump to the New Testament. You don't have to do it like, like just, just stay in your Bibles, all right? At Jesus' trial in Matthew 26, you have many false witnesses that come and revolt against Christ. They're sole witnesses. They're singular witnesses. They gave confusing and contradictory testimonies. These false witnesses under this Deuteronomy Jewish law should have been put to death for the punishment that they sought Jesus. Isn't that crazy? Somebody should have stood up and gone, hold, hold on a second, at the trial of Jesus Christ, just, hold on a second, Deuteronomy 19 says that's not right. Sometimes we need to stand up and say that's not right. Amen. And so here we look at this and we realize that Jesus just kept his mouth shut. And I think sometimes Jesus kept quiet because he's like, is nobody going to say anything? Like we all know the law. Many people doubt that the punishment of others is an effective deterrent to crime, but the Bible clearly says that weak or inconsistent punishment does deter crime. Effective punishment does. 
This is due process. This is, this is due process. This is in regards to the courts, okay? This is not in regards to your personal endeavors. We're going to talk about your personal stuff here in just a few moments, so just, just hold tight. This is due process in regards to the courts, the systems, all of the judges and the priests. That's due process. Because the people would have been quick to go, well, look at verse 21. Look at verse 21. This is the law of retribution. This is the lex talionis in Latin. This is in Exodus 21, it's in Leviticus 24, and in short, the lex talionis, or the law of retribution, said, whatever evil was planned or practiced against another person, then a similar punishment should be brought against the false witnesses. So you break my arm, I get to break your arm. You punch my sister, I get to punch your sister. You take my money, I get to take your money. Now, here's the crazy thing. Many rabbis in Jesus' day taught that if somebody insulted you or attacked you, then you should take eye for an eye personally. And they did this because they were lazy. They said you were obligated to avenge for yourself when somebody insults or attacks you. And Jesus says this law is just for the judges and courts. Jesus says this is not about us personally. This is not how this works. You cannot take the law into your own hands. Jesus says, in our personal relationship, the greatest act of retribution that you can offer is forgiveness because that's what God gave you. See, the rabbis of the day were lazy and they said, you handle your own stuff, you handle your own problems. And Jesus looked at it and he says, yeah, let's do that by forgiveness. Let's give grace. Let's give mercy. That's the way that we deal with somebody who has personally offended you because that's how you bring somebody to the gospel of Jesus Christ. You mean to tell me that you don't want any retribution? Nope. You don't mean to tell me you don't want to retaliate? I'd want to retaliate. But Christ tells me to forgive because that's what God has done for me in Christ. We need to remember what's for the courts and what's for private relationships. Jesus proposed the idea of brotherhood and forgiveness, a strong principle throughout the book of Deuteronomy. If Moses were here, he would say, hey, the courts are our last effort. Let's forgive one another. Let's offer grace to each other. To extend lex talionis or the law of retribution to your personal domain is to destroy the law of God. Remember that. You have people in your life that you would love to retaliate against, and God's looking at you and he's saying, could you forgive them? Can you offer them grace? Because you've received grace. And so here we, we realize as we get to the end of Deuteronomy 19 that I am called to be like the farmer who counts his sheep multiple times. I'm to take inventory to make sure I stay within the bounds of our field. What we do in our society today is we just run ahead and we love this line. It's easier to ask for forgiveness than permission. Don't we love that line? I love that line. You're going to let me die up here by myself? I love that. Hey, let's just do this, and then we'll ask for forgiveness because all will be well, right? That's abusive grace. So let me give you just four ways, they're not going to be on the screen, but to check to make sure you're staying within the Lord's boundaries. Let's take inventory of our life. Number one, if you're here today and you haven't trusted Christ, take refuge in the Lord through faith in Christ. Trust Christ. There's a little white book in front of you as the gospel is outlined there. Open that up. See the grace that God gives us through faith in Christ. It's amazing. Most of us have in this room. And so here's number two. As you're looking at your life and and really 
making sure you're staying within the bounds. Church, I say this as nice as I possibly can, but we got to create margin in our life. What I mean is there has to be a time where you have set aside to pause and to pray and to reflect, to ask God clearly to reveal any areas where you may have strayed from his path. We can learn a lot from our grandparents who did a lot of front porch sitting. And they just thought about things. And I, I tell you what, I, I, like I said, I say this as, as much love as I possibly can, but I was walking in a grocery store the other day. I saw one person who was not on their cellular device. And I was just blown away at how much we just want to, to, to consume, consume, consume. And there's so many people who are like, Jordan, I can't create margin in my life. I'm too busy. If you're too busy, then something needs to change. This is priorities. Number three, study God's word. I know that we push all the time, read your Bible regularly, but we also need to look for books and passages that we study, that we meditate on, our current struggles and challenges. We strive to apply these lessons to our life. I was talking to a guy the other day about his prayer life. We went through Psalm 23, and I read it to him six times. Because I just I don't think it, it, it sat there. I said, let's read it again. Let's read it again. Let's read it again. Let's read it again. Let's study this passage. Let's meditate on it. And then here's the big one for you. If you're counting your life and, and, and looking and saying, hey, where am I at? Am I within the Lord's boundaries? Church, evaluate your influences. You've got to surround yourself with people who are relentless about living in the bounds of God's laws. Everyone needs a Paul who is a mentor. Everyone needs a Barnabas who is an associate. And everyone needs a Timothy who is an apprentice. Don't have those people. Pray for those people. Put them on your bathroom mirror and pray for them constantly. I need godly influences in my life. You are the sum total of the five people you hang out with, and you're the sum total of the five habits you keep. What are they? You tell me, that's, that's you. This is not only how we live in God's boundaries, but this is how we get the opportunity to sing, it is well, it is well with my soul. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, grace, grace, your grace. Grace that is greater than all of our sins. We look at Deuteronomy 19 and we realize just how far sometimes we have strayed and wandered from the path. If you are here this morning and you know you're a sinner, run to the city of refuge, which is Jesus Christ. Confess your sin, believe upon the name of the Lord, and be saved. Become a child of God. There is shelter in the time of storm. So many people in our society today are pointing at the world saying, look how bad this is, look how bad this is, look how bad this is. There's shelter in the time of storm. And it comes in a relationship with God through faith in Christ. Make today the day of your salvation. Lord, many of us know you as our Savior, and we have strayed. 
We've strayed from the boundaries that people have set in the past. Godly men and women who have done much diligence. We've strayed from the words of Christ seeking retaliation for ourselves. Because we're quick to run to the ways of the world. So we ask for your forgiveness there. Help us to take inventory of our lives and how we live. God, may we create margin. May we make that a priority in our lives to stop and to pause and to pray and to reflect and to be still and know that you are God. When we study our Bibles and when we read your word, may we read it again and again and again. And may you take us into the deep water and show us just how good you really are. As we're here this morning, uh, arming ourselves for another week, We ask, God, that you would help us to take inventory of the people who are influencing us and the habits that we keep. Whatever is not from you, whatever is not of you, we pray, God, that you would help us to create boundaries so that we would be fruitful for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord, because we cannot do this on our own. We need you. And we know that you are able to do far more abundantly than we could ever ask or imagine. And so you do the work under the skin, God, through the power of the Holy Spirit in only ways that you can so that we can be more than conquerors and we can be victorious. It's in your name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening to the Community Gospel Church podcast. If you would like to support this ministry financially, simply log on to communitygospelchurch.com and click the Contribute tab.